Thank you, Benny. Well, we have been going through a series for a while called Truth in a World of Fiction. And this morning, I want to look at a truth that is so critical to our faith. And that is victory over the grave. It's the fact that Jesus is alive, that the grave could not hold. Uh, we heard on the news this morning, Cindy and I did, and we got up and drank our coffee this morning, that at a military funeral, I'm not even sure, within the last year, uh, it was dictated what could be said in the prayer, what could be said in the message. There could be no mention of God, no mention of Jesus Christ, no mention of the Star of David. And I thought, what hope is there at a funeral? If you can't bring emphasis to someone bigger than you when you're hurting and and you need to have hope. And of course, we believe wholeheartedly there's no hope apart from Jesus Christ and the fact that he is resurrected. And thus, we too have hope of resurrection, of being reunited with those we love who have gone before us. Um, So this morning, I want to look at that emphasis on the resurrection, on victory over the grave. That's truth in this strange world of fiction we live in. Um, as a scripture reading this morning, let's do Matthew 28, 1 through 10. We're going to be in John a lot of the morning. But when you find that, uh, Matthew 28, I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor. As I read aloud verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's pray. Lord, your word says in 1 Corinthians 15 that we are the wants to be pitied above all if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But Father, I am grateful to know that it's fiction that he stayed in the grave. The truth that we so believe and which makes all the difference is that Jesus is alive. I pray this morning as we look at your word, Father, that reminds us of the evidences of the fact that the grave could not hold him. Father, just speak to our hearts, Lord. Maybe there's someone here, and and that fact, that 
wonderful truth has not fully taken hold. Uh, There can be no hope without a risen Savior. And so I just pray, Father, you might speak to us, Lord. We need to hear from you, Lord. We love you, and we just ask for your, your touch, Father. In your name we pray. As a pastor, one of the things that I dislike the most is having to go and see someone and be with them when a loved one has died. It's it's painful. You sit there and you think, what can I say? And the truth is, what can you say? You're there to love them, to to hug them, to be with them. I guess as we say, one of the most painful things to deal with is the death of a child. I can't think of any death of a loved one that's good, though, because when you love those people, you miss them. I remember um, when my mom died, and, you know, I, I sat there and I thought about it a lot, and then it occurred to me. There just aren't many people who really love you. There's a lot of people who say they love you, but there's not a lot of people who really love you. And, you know, your mom typically is one of those people who really love you. And it's a hole that you don't really feel, you know. And so I just talk about that one because it's one I can relate to. I can't imagine the death of the child, the pain that must accompany that. Joe Bailey, who wrote a book called the view from a hearse went through the death of three children. His first died at 18 days after a surgery complication. His second died at almost five years old. This time after a battle with leukemia. And his third child died at 18 years old in a freak accident while sledding. He said uh, in his book, the only way he was able to survive that was his faith in Jesus Christ and his hope in heaven that he would one day see those kids again. And he based his hope fully upon that. In his book, he talks about trying to comfort a mom whose son was severely ill and was destined to die. And I wanted to share words from his book It's good to know, isn't it? He said slowly, choosing his words with unusual care, that even though the medical outlook is hopeless, we can have hope for our children in such a situation. We can be sure that after our child dies, he'll be removed from sickness and suffering and everything like that and be completely well and happy. If I could only believe that, the woman replied, but I don't. When he dies, I'll just have to cover him up with dirt and forget I ever had him. Man, how tragic is that? How hopeless is that? How depressing that is. To have no hope that you just cover that loved one up, put him in a grave, cover him up, and just forget because it's too painful to remember. Well, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that He's the risen one, makes all the difference. You see, it's not what you believe about death and dying. It's what you believe about Jesus Christ that makes all the difference. 
If you believe that Jesus Christ is risen, then there's hope that you too will one day be reunited with those loved ones. That through Christ there's life after death. That the grave is not the last word. I love in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says that death is the last enemy to be destroyed. There, there is hope worth clinging to. Hope that we can hold on to in Christ. Guys, turn me to Matthew 12. I, Jesus, as He spoke to His disciples, he, he spoke about the fact of the resurrection on several occasions. In chapter 12, He is actually in a confrontation with the Pharisees. And, and we know in the Scripture it says that they came to a point where they wanted to plot to kill Jesus because they were jealous of Him. They were jealous of His power. They were jealous of His teaching ability. They were, they were jealous that the people listened to Him above them. And in their criticism of Him, in chapter 12, we see that Jesus comes and He speaks the truth to them, boldly confronting them, revealing their hearts. And, and he, he talks just quite openly with them. And instead of answering His rebuke, they come back with another question. And that's found in verse 38 of Matthew 12. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Jesus had been dealing with the issue of their hearts. He was, he was trying to to make them come face to face with, 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 with how ugly their hearts really were. Instead, they changed, they changed the conversation and they said, what we really want is some direct evidence that you are powerful. We want a miracle. We want something that will ooh us and us. We want, we want some sign that you are the one that God has sent. And you see, their idea was someone who would, would crush the political rule of the Romans, who would get them out from a situation of, of being politically controlled, and who would meet their needs and, and, and you know, give them uh, free food and, and, and take care of them and, and change the dire circumstances. That was what they were after. Just show us something that will make us comfortable, that, that, that we'll like. Look at his response. Jesus answered. He, he said, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, these Pharisees, they knew of the book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah. Jonah 1, verse 7, talks about that God sent this great fish to swallow him and that he would be in the belly of that well for three days and three nights. And, of course, we as his followers now are able to look back and see that what he was doing, he, he, he was predicting what would happen. He was predicting the death, three days, three nights, and then the deliverance, the resurrection. He was making a statement of what was to come, that there was hope beyond the grave. And God was going to bring that hope. Now, that's the prediction. Um, 
Turn me to John chapter 19 as we look at the actual account. Before you can have a resurrection, you have to have a death. It has to be evident that there's no life before you can say one is risen from the grave. And so as we look in John chapter 19, we see evidences of that that the Scripture records for us. Uh, Look at verse 38 of John 19. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. They would not have come and asked for the body of Jesus if they thought he was still alive. They came and they practiced the burial custom, Jewish burial custom, with the 75 pounds of spices, with the burial wrappings of the body. And as they came, that that was significant. And and I want to make a point here. Uh, There is another incident in the Gospel of John about one wrapped in burial clothes. Uh, It's in John chapter 11. And it's the incident of Lazarus. John 11, I'll go ahead and start at 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there four days. <laughs> then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So here is a picture of, of, of how they would have buried Jesus, this burial cloth around his face, his hands, his feet wrapped as there was this burial wrapping and part of the Jewish custom of burial. But I want you to notice this last part here in verse 44. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This idea that some scholars say, well, Jesus wasn't really dead. He just fell asleep and when he woke up, he just left the tomb. Well, for all the crazy reasons that's crazy, uh, one here of evidence is when they wrapped with those burial cloths, you couldn't get it off yourself. He needed assistance. He needed help to remove those cloths. 
Secondly, um, in John 19, uh, look at verse 32. It says, the soldiers came, broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man saw it's given testimony, and this testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe. In order to hasten death of those being crucified, they would break the legs so that it would be harder for them to breathe and they would literally suffocate. They would drown. But when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because the soldiers saw that he was dead. Then there was the spear in his side. There was a separation of the blood and water. Uh, medical evidence, another sign of death. You see, those soldiers, their primary job was to make sure that the person hanging up there, that they died. And they were the witness. They, they said, that he's, he's dead. He's dead. Then there is the evidence, um, of course, of, of the ladies in several of the Gospels, it says, go and see the place where they laid him. Uh, and I want to look at John chapter 20 here that speaks of this account. It says, early on the first day of the week, it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. (laughs) He saw and believed. And what did he see? He saw where once there was a body, there was just now the grave wrappings. If there had been a robber who came and stole the body, he wouldn't have taken the time to fold the headdress. There was no sign of a forced quick exit. No, there was evidence. There was a sign that something spectacular, something supernatural had happened. And all this clicked in John's mind and he believed. He remembered the words of of Jesus and and it clicked. There was a hope. Suddenly, uh, all the all the sorrow, all the despair that came from this idea that their master, that Jesus was no longer there, it, it fell flat because there was an understanding that he was alive, that, that the grave did not hold him, that the grave could not contain him, that was in his power he set free. And the appearances, you know there are 11 accounts of appearances of Jesus Christ resurrected. Uh, Just a couple of these here in John chapter 20. Uh, 
We'll look at uh, starting at verse 13. He says, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. <laughs> when she didn't recognize him, but when he called her by name, she, she knew who it was. It, it, it came clear, the appearance, it, it clicked. It clicked with her. And then we go on, we read a, of a couple of other accounts. Um, she went to the disciples, verse 18, I've, I've seen the Lord. She told them she'd seen these things. And then in verse 19, we read of, of another account. <laughs> On the evening of that day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, but that was an understatement. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Man, they saw him, the resurrected Lord. He was alive, no longer in the grave. He appeared right to them. And, and of course, the story of Thomas, you know the story. Thomas wasn't there. They told him, we saw the Lord. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were, put my hands in the side, I'll not believe it. But a week later, as they were gathered, here comes the Lord. I love this. It says, the other doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And what was Thomas's response? He said, my Lord and my God. He believed because he knew it was the risen Lord. His dreams were true. This was not fiction. This was fact. This was not a, a legend or a fairy tale. This was truth. He was alive. He, he was the hope. He was the hope. So what are the historical results of that? Well, one thing, you look at a bunch of guys that were cowards who were trembling in the upper room in prayer out of fear because what awaited them. Chased down, persecuted, because they were connected with Jesus. To people who were courageous, and all of the disciples ended up martyrs, dying for their faith. Why? Why would they do that? Well, I think the answer is quite easy. They saw Jesus alive. And man, that stuck with them. That was the hope. That was the marker. No matter what they faced, He's alive. I will be alive with Him. No matter what they do to me, I have hope. Because of the resurrection. Because he's who he said he is. And then there's a connection. The evidence of the church. All of us down through history. The changed lives. People who have lived through incredible heartbreak. And and suffering. And and, and had faith in in the toughest of times. Why? Because Jesus is Jesus. He's alive. And he lives in his people. These evidences all point to the fact of a risen Lord. Risen Lord. Now, I want to close with two benefits that come from that. 
the first one that comes from that wonderful truth of the resurrection is that we are forgiven. We're forgiven. Simple the fact of the matter is. The resurrection is a true sign and evidence of the fact that the Heavenly Father was satisfied with Calvary. With the horrific but necessary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is evidence that His work was fulfilled. That it was completed. And the result of that is that we are forgiven. Really forgiven, guys. Not just superficially forgiven. Forgiven. I love the story of the Scottish doctor. And when he died, his wife found his books. And and there were a number of notes in there uh, where he would say, Too poor to pay, debt forgiven. And uh, she said, You know, I've got to get some of this money. And so she took several of these families to court, and and uh, she you know she had her book, and she showed the judge, and the judge simply looked at it and said, "Well, is that your husband's handwriting?" And she said, "Yeah," and said, "Well, in his handwriting, he says, forgiven." I have to say the debt's forgiven because it's in handwriting, his handwriting, that he has declared. The debt forgiven. So that's all that needs to be said. And as I think about us, I love it because I'm so grateful that God didn't look at us and say, forgiven but not forgotten. We'll collect at a later date. He didn't do that. But when He looked at our sin and He looked at the sacrifice of Jesus, He looked at us and He saw too poor to pay. (laughs) And then He said... Forgiven, forgotten, forever. Isn't that good? Man, that's, that's a sign of the resurrection. That we are forgiven. And that's the way that we should forgive ourselves and forgive one another. Can you imagine how things would be different if the resurrection power of Jesus Christ got a hold of us so we could see how we are forgiven in God's sight and that we might be able to forgive one another that way. Man, you talk about revival. <laughs> it's all tied to the resurrection, to the hope that He's alive. Without that, there is no hope. Without that, as we said, when I was, you know, growing up, our goose was cooked. Our goose is cooked. One more truth. Uh, benefit. It comes with his victory over the grave. <laughs> we too will be raised. We will not stay in the grave. That good news. Throwing that dirt over my grave will not be the last you see of me, nor will it be of you. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is called the first fruit. We don't use that terminology a whole lot. Um, but I guess one simple definition of it is it is an expression of things to come first fruit kind of like maybe when your grandmother your mother you know she cook a big meal and, but all you could smell was that dessert and man that dessert smelled good and you thought I want that 
So you start moving toward the dessert and you get your hand slapped or you get scolded. And she says, you got to eat the meal first. After you eat dinner, you can have some dessert. But not till then. But then, because she loves you and has a little compassion on you, she gives you just a little sliver of it. Just a taste. And you're like, mm, man, I'm going to hurry up and eat my food so I can get a big old piece of that. Well, because there's an excitement, there's an anticipation of that dessert. Because, man, that's good stuff. Jesus Christ, the, the hope that we have, what's recorded for us in the Scriptures, the testimony of the Holy Spirit to us, um, the testimony of His people that we know that are around us, um, all of it, it's a first fruit. But, but there's more to come. There's another taste. And you will see that loved one again. I want to close uh, Joe Bailey. This is a, another excerpt from his book. And I close with this. Uh, I once saw some workmen move a little cemetery full of graves to make way for a building. One man stood in a deep hole and held up a small zinc plate that read, Jenny Stewart died 1908. And then some moldy wood, a little dirt, a blackened skull. That is all there. That is all there is of Jenny, he said. And he laughed a short laugh. Then he put it in a box and began to dig a foot or two away. Do you believe that God will raise up Jenny at the last day? The day of resurrection? That He'll raise her up from... Two different graves, that, that he'll raise up your little boy, that he'll raise up my three sons, that he'll raise up you and me. He says, yes, because he is God. He's promised to, but most of all, because he raised Jesus Christ. And that's the hope. That's what it's all about. He's alive. Forgiven and raised for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Father, there's a lot of uh, so-called truth out there that wants our attention, Lord. But I dare say no greater truth than the resurrection that you are alive. It gives hope in a world empty. It gives meaning where we need a purpose to get up in the morning. And Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as I think about us, what are you up to, Lord? Maybe there's someone here who has heard the message. But maybe it hasn't sunk in. Maybe the truth that I need to be forgiven and I need to be raised again. Have heaven. I need those benefits. They only come one way. It is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, speak to any heart here who has not made that decision, who has not bowed the heart and the knee before you and said, forgive me, Lord. Enter my life. May your life become my life. Let's pray this morning you might speak to all of us. There's one here that needs...
to make that choice of God work. Father, there are others here that have been through the pain of a loved one dying. You know the pain, Father. Oh, Lord. Just love them. Let them know how deeply they are forgiven. And give them strength to live in grace, Lord. And Father, remind them that death is not the last word. That there shall be a reunion. And the promise, the hope is secure because you defeated death. The evidence all clearly points that way, Lord. And we place our lives clearly upon it. And Father, uh, bring us to the altar if need be. Bring us to speak before your people uh, as your work. Father, what are you up to, Lord? That is our desire. I just simply ask, Father, that this time we call response, invitation. Oh, God, that we do business with you. Lead us, Lord. Move us, Lord. For your glory we ask.